What's going on, everybody? Welcome back into another episode of the Dogs Basketball Podcast here on this Tuesday. It is an off day for myself. Noah usually joins me. He has other plans. He had the day off as well. But I will be doing a solo episode here today to get it out to you guys before tomorrow's tough game. I will be recapping the loss that was on Sunday that Noah and I were in attendance for as well as everything typical, but we, you know, things like a Brian Mullins interview with Andy Katz. I'm not sure if I'll even dive into that, just the fact that it happened. A tip of, we'll get, I get into a big game Kennard Davis had near the end of this before I preview the Braves. Uh, obviously, update a look at the standings after all the recent games had happened. Some more, or some updated seed, seeding probabilities and new brackets, new mid-major top 25s, everything. And then the pro Salukis, G-League Salukis, Barrett Benson, all of that jazz. Like I said, kind of the typical stuff. So, yes, we did lose on Sunday. Like I said, we were there to see it in normal at uh, Sefsu. I can't even pronounce it now, uh, Arena, obviously formerly known as Redbird Arena. And... Uh, left early, got there, me, uh, Noah, and another friend of ours that obviously loves SIU as well, um, and it was a really cold day, you know, had, took the long trip, ate in a bandanas, which every, for everybody knows bandanas, there's one in Carbondale we like to eat at a lot that's really SIU themed, and this one wasn't too Illinois State themed when we got there, and that's whenever we found out, and I'll obviously dive into it throughout the game, was no Darius Burford in this one. We found out while we were sitting there that he had a orbital fracture or orbital injury that happened in practice. And Peden said after the game, it was it was a, uh, or he said in the teleconference yesterday, that it was just a elbow in practice off the screen or something he said. So obviously that was big in the moment, but I just recall because that's when we were eating. Uh, and then we got there, like I said, frigid out. As we know, you know, Noah and I went to watch football there on October 1st, and even the parking there was kind of crazy. It's either in back neighborhoods or it's uh, somewhere decently far away. But this time, I mean, there was a – Redbird Arena is kind of in a weird spot. We know the uh, the old field house where they had a game about a month ago is there, and we parked next on the other side of that. But we had to ask around where was the best place to park. So I had $10 parking there, which, by the way – uh, Banterra Center does not make people pay. I think they used to, but just because. We know Illinois State likes to charge a lot for certain things. But we got $10 tickets to this one and sat in awesome seats. But we, when we parked, then we walked through. You know, there's the option because it was so cold. That you have the option to walk through the field house on the way back, and there's bathrooms and stuff throughout there. It's, it's a good walk uh, to the arena, I can't lie. And we went through there and saw that. It's a really cool old place. Uh, and then we went in there, got in our seats, took some pictures. It's a really cool. It's it's a, it's a legit college basketball arena because like the the stands are on top of you, uh, just how it's you know how it's formed and they had uh, on the concourse they had a bunch of historical things. They had a lot of Doug Collins who was in attendance in this game. Had a lot of him. Uh, and then the dog pound showed up huge. They had their own charter bus that they brought. Uh, really good turnout by SIU fans in this game. But, yeah, it was a really cool place in general. Uh, like I said, had never watched a game there. I have never watched SIU play there. So that's another bucket list scratch off of Valley games we've seen SIU play on the road. So overall, and all, a pretty good experience, can't lie. And we had decent seats for it. So jumping into this game now, I wanted to dive into the experience there. I mentioned no Darius Burford. So they had a lineup of, 
Luke, uh, Kasupke, Qu- uh, Malachi Poindexter, Kendall, uh, McChesney, and uh, Seneca Knight. So a pretty solid big lineup that they threw out there against us. Um, I mean, honestly, it was, you know, they got the tip from the get-go, and it wasn't, uh, you know, and they had a, you know, end of shot clock kind of situation where Seneca had a step back three, uh, you know, obviously wasn't the worst thing knowing he can make them. And we'll get to some more he hit down the stretch. Uh, but we know um, we can't be hypocritical because we have guys that you wouldn't think could make them either throughout this season and make kind of last second shots. Uh, and speaking of that guy, it was X who then matched him three to three, uh, it was, it was hot from three-point lane. Marcus got on the board. He missed an early three. Marcus had more great three-point looks in this game. He made one to give us that lead. We had leads throughout this game, but they, they didn't last long, and they oh, I think they're only th- three. In. And like I said, they didn't last long because I think as soon as we got them, we let it, we let it go. Um, but Marcus hit one after X did to give us the lead, and McChesney hit a open three, which, by the way, I we went back, and over the course of this, over the course of this, you know, some certain plays that hit me. I did go back and rewatch the game last night to see things. Obviously, you see things a little differently on TV than you do at the place. And even it was so cool at Redbird Arena because they actually have a replay system that they show on their video board that obviously we don't have. And it's just we always said Illinois State's got legit like fringe power five facilities and resources and stuff. So really appreciated that. Uh, they showed more replays than uh than the TV did outside of like one near the very end of one of those crucial plays. So a lot of back and forth in this game, and that's how it was near the very end. You know, Marcus heated up. Like I said, he missed still a lot of good looks. Um, But, you know, obviously I'll get into his game. He tied a career high in this game. Uh, Eight and eight, and we were, you know, and I hate going through all the play-by-play of what happened. You know, there were just runs. There was a lot of back and forth, a lot of Marcus. Uh, X had a really nice layup, one of his kind of like extended lefty layups. Uh, Kendall Lewis was awesome in this game. We know he didn't score against us in the first game. He was really good against Bradley as well. So, again, just in general, going into this game, you know, their previous game they lost by 20. Last home game they lost by 20 to Valpo. And then they, you know, recently on their on their previous road games, they should have beat you and I, lost that one late, and then should have beat Bradley, lost that one late. So, you know, you and I and Bradley, which are obviously two top half teams, and they, you know, shoot themselves in the foot, and they didn't do that really in this game, unfortunately, but just shows that they were really close to competing, and I would say by the end of this, they do something really well that can make them dangerous at the end of a game, but uh, like I said, it was it was 17-18 for a long time, I mean, seeing Clarence get on the board, he was good against Murray in his last game in this, so he started to turn it around just a little bit, obviously he's still not perfect in a lot of this, um, but wasn't a whole lot of points. We had some bad possessions uh, points here. But Scotty did come in, so we were getting like, and this was the only time he was in was this stretch. Uh, I don't remember if he got in twice in the first half or not, but he got in, obviously made his small impact, and then we don't see him again. But we were getting all three of our bigs involved. And this one, we talked about Troy, who had the back injury against Murray, uh, and he had the four or five days rest, and he played a lot in this game. Uh, he had, as soon as, and, and Scotty got fouled, and we'll get to it, I mean, bad free throw shooting from our bigs, which is expected, but of course, you know, you know, every time it would happen, it's like, okay, well, they made the right foul, because then they go, and I mean, our bigs went, Scotty, our bigs went one of, or no, two of, uh, let's see, 
two of three. Off the top of my head, probably like two for eight, I think, or two for seven, one or the other. Uh, but Scotty went one of two in his first one. He banked the second one. I want to say that was after, yeah, J.D. missed two free throws. He airballed his second one. Obviously not a great look. I'll get into some other he had down the stretch of the game. But uh, we were letting Seneca get easy looks at the rim. I mean, him and Kendall are unbelievable. You know, that's that's why they're tough to beat, and that's why they can beat almost a Bradley, how physical they are in the paint, because Seneca and Kendall do all the dirty work inside to get them those those layup looks, and they were hard for us to guard at times. I mentioned after Scotty's free throws, I mentioned the bad possessions. Uh, we'd swing it barely off a turnover, and Troy would miss threes. He actually had two in this first half that were, uh, you know, not the best decisions to shoot in the moment. And there were some spotty fouls. I mean, we would foul like Seneca and Poindexter. Every time they touch it, they'd flay a little bit and get some fouls called on them. But uh, Seneca made a couple free throws. I mean, we got, you know, we got out in transition once, and I'm, you know, watching the replay back because you can't tell in real time that Jawan gets it, and usually Jawan is almost perfect in the fast break and is able to finish. And we remember the dunk he had against Indiana State. He tried to do it here, and Seneca chased him down, blocked him off the backboard, and they when then they went out in transition. Jawan ended up fouling him in general, and Seneca made two free throws. Uh, I just remember a certain plays rewatching him. X tried to hit Clarence on a on a late pass, and Clarence tried to. Uh, you know, save it from going out of bounds and try to throw it above Kutov, and he stole it, um, or Kotov. And then Poindexter made some tough jump shots. Marcus had a layup. Uh, Marcus had a three out of an offensive rebound from X, kicked it back out to Marcus after Lance, and I'll get into Lance. He had a one of, we say it a lot, I think recently in previous games, we say like he has the worst however long stretch of his career or of the season for sure, and that's what it looked like in this game. He was he was turning it over, he was missing every shot, he just looked out of it, and Brian sat him for a little bit there. And there was a point in this first half where we had Marcus, Jawan, and Lance, arguably our three best or two of definitely, maybe third if you had Jawan in there, our third best scores. And they were all out of the floor, so it was X, Dalton, Trent, Troy, and J D. We said, um, wouldn't like to have that lineup out there as much Throughout games, I don't know if we scored a whole lot in that time, but Marcus had a 5-0 run. Uh, and then X went, you know, we talk about X is almost perfect from the line. Could have gave us a lead here at the five-minute mark in the first half, went one of two. Ryan Schmidt came in here. I mean, he that's whenever we were in the bonus and X got free throws out of that. It was Ryan Schmidt was too high on a hedge and fouled X. He came in because they were outside of Kota. McChesney was in foul trouble. Uh, so they're playing those three. And then uh, saw Trent missed a, a decent-looking three to give us a lead when it was tied at 26. Uh, Trent did get a steal from Luke. Uh, but Marcus missed another three. Seneca made a couple free throws, and Trent fouled him there on the bonus. And then Trent got on the board with this. We know he hit the three against Murray, hit a three in this first half. Gave us a one-point lead. And then and then Malachi missed a three. We we would we get it and try to have one of those good possessions, try to extend our lead. And X had a really bad turnover. Again, that Kendall Lewis still kind of just lost it and then ended up fouling Kendall on the other end. He made more free throws. Uh, Seneca made a layup on. I think it was just a high-low kind of or just a post-feed that he ended up scoring on from Kendall. Uh, Marcus had a layup. Kendall, two more free throws. Marcus had a jump shot. And then, and then we had a chance here at the end that Lance had an offensive foul call 
that gave them about 14 seconds to go down the down the court. Malachi missed a jumper. Kendall got an easy offensive rebound and finished it. And I remember saying at the time that just reminds me of when we had a bad shot and then Scotty got the and one to finish the half against them uh, in the first matchup. And that's kind of not exactly clearly, but right before the buzzer, they got points. So they kind of returned the favor on that. So it was a three-point deficit at the half. Uh, like I said, there, there were moments. I mean, Lance was terrible in the first half. Let me go find the first half box score. Uh, overall, I mean, obviously, Marcus was red hot. He was hitting threes. Like I said, missing some, but he was getting easy looks at the rim. They really couldn't stop him a lot. Uh, so he had 19 and 8 of 12, 3 of 5 from 3 in the first half. Other than that, obviously, Lance and Jawan had no points. X was good with 6. Clarence did have that layup. Uh Scotty's three points and Trent's three points. Only six bench points. Marcus clearly was carrying the way with our 33. Um, we were shooting 50% from the field. They were shooting 45.8, so we were doing good in that regard. Five of 13 from three. The two of seven from the free throw line, and those were all of our bigs, or most of our bigs. I keep saying that, I forget. X had one of two. A lot of that, was, and they were 10 of 10. So there was the disparity early, and we'll find out that that was the disparity at the end, uh, we had six turnovers to their seven. We were out assisting them, out stealing them. They had two blocks to our zero. And then their biggest lead in the first half was six. Ours clearly was the three. Um, uh, that was early. So, you know, we weren't really too, you know, they killed us at the free throw line and fouls drawn. And I've just mentioned how Marcus carried us in that first half. Um could have been worse, clearly. It's one of the most manageable margins at that point. But knowing, obviously, you could have had um, or could have had better moments to even have the lead. It's just those breakdowns on defense and stuff. So we'll get into more of that. So uh, to kick off the second half now, we got, you know, they, like I said, it, I'd say 85% of our games because we, we never honestly get the tip. So then the possession era would always find it. We know there were a lot of jump balls in this game, definitely in the second half that would change possession, but we never start the ball or we always, we always start the ball and at the start of the second half, but didn't end this one again. Uh, but Clarence had a layup finished an and one. He got his own miss uh, and finished that cut it to cut it to one could have tied it, missed the free throw. Uh, Sissoko who started, I think it was Sissoko. That's maybe it was McChesney. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but um which I guess I can obviously go look at that real fast. Uh, it was McChesney, as I thought, but but uh, Sissoko was that other big that came in and uh, started the second half, so he fouled Clarence. Like I said, missed the free throw, so there were more bad free throw shooting. Kotov came in, got an offensive board. Offensive board, he missed an easy layup. We got it, went down went down court. Clarence went um, – uh, Clarence had it, and he took too long to go up with it. We know he likes to like draw or you know, pump eight guys and then finish, but Kendall literally blocked this out of, out of air and just grabbed it with two hands. So then that sparked a thing for them, and then Seneca had a three that, that made it four. So we had these chances, obviously, to take the lead here. Lance tried to match him, another terrible shot. I don't know if it was this or the first half. He tried to – it was that the shot clock was winding down. He tried to ask for, a, ask for a screen and immediately just shot it, and Luke – was still almost in his face, and he still shot it terrible. But after that, then Luke made a three. This whenever it started to got ugly because Luke um, Kasupke made two threes in a row. His second one that was after a Lance turnover or an offensive foul. I think that Luke, uh, I think that Luke set and then went down and gave us and gave them a ten point lead. And then after that, there were no points until we finally cut it to eight. We had multiple looks. They had decent looks. Uh, 
and and I see Jawan turnover because that's whenever uh, they turned it over after like you know an extra possession on and Jawan stole it and gave it right back to Seneca. Thankfully, they didn't score. Kendall missed an easy hook shot, uh, but we had our chances and they had their chances to extend the lead. So we finally cut it to eight. Obviously, that didn't last long before Sandage who came in. We know he's been dealing with injury. He came in. And nailed a three to give them an 11-point lead. J.D. went one of two from the line. His second one was because they had a uh, lane violation, which we talked at the time. I'm pretty sure that was the, I'd say about 90% of the time that has happened to J.D. in the last couple of years, he's made that third one that he gets, the extra one. So in the moment, you're thinking that, obviously. How, you've literally seen him shoot four to this point. How can you... How can you have that lane violation? Because then if he does make it, it could pay dividends at the end. Clearly it didn't, but at the time, it's like you can't make those kinds of mental mistakes. Um, and then Lance finally got on the board to, which was, I mean, like I said, he he was so bad. And this was a 13-minute mark, so he was bad for 27 minutes until he finally got on the board, cut it to eight. And then what do you know, after Kendall had a layup after an offensive rebound, of course, and McChesney was throwing up threes here in this little stretch, Lance made another three. Uh, to cut it to seven, so obviously Lance sees one go in, then he makes another one. McChesney made two free throws after Troy fouled him before TV timeout. Uh, Marcus missed a three, and then Sandage hit his second three, cut it to 12. That was the biggest lead of the game until Lance went down on a right-wing three crossover, and he fell after the shot, but he made it, so it cut it back to nine. Marcus then made a three after... Uh, it was kind of a, a crazy possession, I think, that found him on the right wing for a three that cut it to six. Markison had a layup, then four. Troy had a layup on a fast break that Lance stole, and this is one that was a blatant miscall on a no-call foul. Uh, I think Troy was wanting the lob, but Lance hit him on the on the bounce pass, and, and Troy finished, should have been called because he was literally on the ground holding his knee, and we could tell at our, at our seats that he was still down, and you're wondering where the heck was the foul call. So then he made that cut at the two. He, luckily, he was finally like said he was kind of grabbing his knee. So it's honestly crazy. And we know, like I said, the back injury. Who knows with a play like that? Uh, Kendall made a dunk then off of a uh, Luke. Just had a nice uh, post pass to him. He got both. He got two of our guys up in the air and dunked it. Made it four. Marcus then made a three to cut it to one. That was after this. This was a, an important stretch right here in the moment because Lance missed a three. Jawan skied. You know, right there underneath the basket, got an offensive rebound, kicked it back out the Lance, missed another three, and then Troy had one of his patented bat outs that went to Marcus, and him and X tried to catch it, but then the defender at the time kind of stumbled when X went to the wing, and then Marcus just pulled up three, cut it to one, and then we called a timeout that led to a TV timeout. And this is when I was here, because throughout this throughout this second half and throughout the game, a Kotov would come in, our bigs would be so worried about checking him for no reason because he's only shot two threes on the year. He's made one, but he just refused to shoot him. He would spot up at times, but then he would just immediately pass it. We were going at him, and they would just make the extra pass to find guys because we collapsed too hard, and they'd make the extra pass for threes, and that's what happened a lot in this second half. But this is an example right here when Haruna Sissoko, who JD was playing off him almost almost in the paint, definitely in the paint, and then Sissoko just took one dribble and had a floater, and he made him. We said, we'll live with that. Because you proved in the, that he can make it, you didn't think that he could do anything like that. Because then we let him do it, and then he made his pay in the moment, which obviously would end up being pivotal points. Uh, Seneca missed their only free throw of the game. He missed. He went one of two. They could have made it a five. Then it was a four. Um, and then Lance, 
Lance had a layup, and then he had another layup after he stole it from Luke. So then it's tied at 60. So this is this is it here. And then all of a sudden they go down into the shot clock, just like the first play of the game was Seneca's step back three that just can rip your heart out in the moment. And this is whenever it got fun, though, because when there was back and forth, nothing. They We turn it over, they turn it over. We go down, and Lance made another three. I think this one was at the top of the key three that tied it. Next thing you know, they go down. I think this is whenever we had one of our breakdowns, and Luke hit. And I think it was off a down screen. Actually, he got some room at the top of the key himself. 66, 63, and then the very next possession again, Marcus uh, tied it with another three that X hit him on, and then they weren't yet in the bonus. Uh, Kendall had a layup. I want to say this was whenever uh, it was. This was whenever they there was you know below. This is whenever it was jump ball city, and then they got the possession. Uh, when this whenever we they got an offensive rebound that we couldn't uh of course get that pivotal defensive rebound to stop them and go you know and get the ball back ourselves to go get that final shot shot ourselves and said you know we let them and Kendall was just a freak on the boards uh but then he got in the paint that they gave it to him and he easily scored on Troy which in the moment I mean it looked like that. In the moment, you know, watching it live and then on TV, he definitely pushed off with his left. It was a really physical play, but it looked like he kind of used his hand to shove Troy away and bank it to give them the lead. Uh, uh, 68-66. And then and then X had a turnover. I can't recall exactly what that was. There were points in this, though. I want to say, let's see here. I want to say when we were down by three at the 250 mark, this is whenever Lance had his, when we got a defensive rebound, went down. Marcus had Poindexter at the three-point line in the high post, and he he made a, a pass to Troy that was in the paint. He didn't do anything with Passed it back out to Lance. And, of course, he was lazadaisical, and it hit off his hand for a backcourt violation. That was right before these threes that tied it, but that Kendall layup was on Troy that he banked it, and then X had a layup, and he fouled Seneca to give them free throws, and that that was it from there. So we had our chances when X – I don't remember exactly what it was. I I think I honestly stopped watching at that point because I knew we didn't score again after Kendall's layup. I I think I did watch it. I can't remember exactly what the turnover was, but uh, X did turn it over after that. Should have been offensive foul on Kendall. There was a point in this game where we thought Marcus got fouled on a layup. if anything, he got fouled on the floor because he definitely didn't. He just lost control of it, got too deep in the moment. You thought that was a foul. The Troy foul should have – I mean, I mean, it's one point if he finishes the end one. It's just the fact that they weren't calling those kind of fouls, but they were calling the ticky-tacky ones throughout the entire game. So, like I said, when you tie it at 66, you let Kendall get that shot, and there's 30 seconds left, and you turn it over. And this is when I mentioned, you know, and we call it back, and this is what SAU fans were saying. Whenever you call back, you just had a feeling we were going to win. But kudos to Illinois State for getting these possessions, whether you benefit off a no-call offensive foul or not. You're able to score, and you're able to get a stop, force a turnover. And this whenever we mentioned, if Illinois State cannot shoot themselves in the foot in some of these other games that they've had recently down the stretch, if they have a late lead and people foul them, they're making their free throws. Seneca went two for two, and then Kendall went two for two at the very end to get it to the final score. As before, after Kendall made his free throws, whenever Marcus missed two threes, that we had some... Offensive boards, missed him, and then we had to foul. They're dangerous when they have to shoot free throws down the stretch. Like I said, they only missed one in the whole game. So it was it was a fu- it was it's unfortunate that we lost because then I'll get to other games. We got help around the league and it didn't matter. Uh which, you know, 
you kind of had this feeling that they were going to get it in gear because of their recent games and the fact that they're at home, but you had your moments. Tied it at 60, tied it at 66, and you allowed them to get those those possessions that you couldn't get stops on. So like I said, kudos to Illinois State in this game. We should have got those necessary stops. And in the moment, it's disappointing. And of course, people are going to overreact after winning five straight and winning on the road games like we did and winning the games that we have so far to this point. Any kind of loss would be an overreaction. And I understand against this team who has struggled all year. Um, but it was on the road and you lost by six and you had it that close. And like I said, there's going to be a lot of overreaction from a lot of people. Uh, but this game was so important because of what our next one is. So that's why you, it was very important that you went to 10 and two, uh, you know, instead of being nine and three, which again, luckily we got some help and I'll get to that in a second, but uh, it, it doesn't look like the worst loss because of how good Illinois state's playing. And we'll see if that carries over. They, they host another game on Wednesday that we'll see. So uh, see if they can write the ship a little bit and get back in full contention and get above, you know, they're kind of like neck and neck with like a Valpo right now and get definitely ahead of the UICs and Evansville as we'll see. But uh, it's a tough game overall. Like I said, we were kind of, sh- we still shot better than them, but by the end of the game uh, from three, not so much, they were 11, kudos to them. They were 17 of 18 from the free throw line and 11 of 19 from three. We only, and we only lost by six. I think that shows, more of the paint uh, or the paint points disparity is, but the free throw is ridiculous. We shot, we made three free throws in the game and one was Scotty, one was JD and one was X. Other than that, three of 10 as a team, the bigs killed us in that regard. This game, it does feel like we, you know, we only got out rebounded by one and we had more offensive rebounds than they did. So it's like, you, you feel like you won so many of so much of this game and then you lost because they shoot so well from three and from the free throw line. That was the difference. But, they had three more defensive rebounds than us. We had two more two more assists. We had nine steals to their three. They did have three blocks to our one. I think that was JD. We only had 10 turnovers. We said what our record is if we get 10 or less turnovers, and obviously it was a loss in this one. They had 13, uh, and you know it was just hard to regain and keep a, keep a sustained lead in this one. They were able to do it at times with their – you know, 10, 11, 12 point leads throughout the game. But it was it was a tough, hard fought game. And we know it takes a lot for teams to beat us. But when you shoot the way that um, Illinois State did in this game, you're obviously going to be able to win a lot of games. And like I said, when you get down to the nitty gritty of a game and they're able to make their free throws, that's why they can be dangerous down the stretch of this regular season and into Arch Madness. If they can get a late lead and get how physical they are and their ability to shoot – and if they get a late lead, they'll make their free throws and they can put a game away. So, so it is. it was a disappointing game. And Clarence, 10 minutes, did score the twice, missed the free throw, needing a little bit more from him, especially if he's only going to get 10 minutes. Marcus, 39 minutes, got that early one-minute break in the first half when it was around tied. Uh, he missed more looks. He could have been even better than he was. He tied a career-high 32 points. But he was, he was 50% from three, six of 12. They're starting to design a lot more plays for Marcus in the – you know, from under the basket, you know, cross court passes to the corner or just, you know, ones in general. And a lot of them weren't always designed. He just pulled up and made them sometimes. But 13 of 25, 6 of 12, unbelievable game from him. Six rebounds, four assists. Only one turnover from Marcus. Clearly one of his best games of the season. And it stinks whenever you lose and a guy puts up numbers like that. X had six. I want to say he didn't score in the second half, which is unfortunate. Uh, I think he only had those six in the first. Did have four assists, a steal, and two rebounds. 
Uh, Lance, 29 minutes. I mentioned how awful he was. He ended up 6 of 14, 3 of 9, and 15. If you were to look at that at the end of the day, uh, I mean, 6 of 8 is obviously below 50%, but because of how bad he played in the first 27 minutes, if you just looked at the box score after the game, you'd say, okay, Lance didn't play awful. But you, you, like I said, your mind would change if you found out everything else about how he played. But 15 points, did have four turnovers. A lot of those were on offensive fouls, unfortunately. He had one, they bulldozed a guy, and he had a couple off-ball offensive fouls and then had the backcourt violation, which obviously was pivotal down the stretch. Like I said, he's going to win you games, he's going to lose you games, and it's live or die with him. And it's and Noah and I were talking, it's like no matter how he's playing, though, he needs to stay in the game. That's how vital he is, no matter good or bad that he's playing. He needs to stay in. You know, you can rely on Dalton X to an extent, but you got to have Lance on the court at all times if he's not in foul trouble, no matter how he's playing. Because then obviously he can shoot himself out of it. Because if he makes one, you know, he's going to, he is the, one of the streakiest players we've ever seen. But that's just how he is. He's got to be on the floor at all times. Like I said, 15 points in 29 minutes. Jawan, Jawan did not score in 23 minutes. Obviously, you know, we can count on his defense a lot. And the way Marcus carried, it wasn't really that big a deal. But these guys, some of these guys struggled. He only shot twice. One of those was on the, one of those blocks. And I don't remember the other shot he missed. Uh, but he had three rebounds, three steals. Honestly, like I said, he's going to set charges. And he, if he can get three steals, that's big. He led the team in that regard. But he's clearly got a score. And he wasn't foul trouble at points in this game. Need more from Juwan. Uh, Troy in 20 minutes with the back was one of four. Like I said, should have gotten fouled. He had a couple bad three. Or his second three-point attempt was pretty bad. Can't lie. Uh, did have three fouls with the two points. JD, one point with the free throw. But did rebound. He had seven rebounds. Obviously had some nice moments. In that regard, three of them offensive in 19 minutes. Scotty, three minutes, went one of three from the line. Did have a reverse layup. Marcus hit him on that was good. And like I said, we didn't see him again. But I'd uh, like to see those three bigs get more of the you know rotation time in their own separate minutes. Get that going a little bit more of that rotation. And then Dalton didn't score. He was active at certain times. You can count on his defense, but didn't. Had two assists and a rebound. Uh, did have a turnover in only 12 minutes. And then Trent hit the three, played decent at times, played good defense. He actually was on the other end of some other offensive fouls by the Redbirds that would leave him like elbowed and on the ground that gave us some extra possessions, which was good. But uh, 15 minutes for Trent, obviously a lot more than what he had been doing. And then quickly for Illinois State, Kendall Lewis did not come out of the game. He was 6 of 10 from the field. You know, and he's another guy that we were playing to. Maybe he wasn't around the three-point line all that often. But he would start there and then end up back on the paint. But play off him. Make him shoot a jump shot. He clearly doesn't want to do it. I mean, all those points were in the paint. He had 18 and 10. I like I said, I think he had 16 and 12 last game. So he's starting to do exactly what he does. Killed us in this one. McChesney, 5 points, 11 minutes with foul trouble. Point extra, 5 points. Shot up a lot of junk. 2 of 11 shooting for him. And only shot three threes. Uh, Luke was 4 of 9. All of his makes were from 3. Hit some big ones. Had 12 points, and Seneca was a fantastic. 9 of 10 from the line, 6 of 8 overall, 3 of 4 from 3, 24 points. I think 24 in conference is the most second most we've allowed now to a player. We know, know we allowed uh, Bowen to drop 27 at his place against us, and then they only had – Sandich had two threes, and Sissoko had the floater. That's all they had off their bench. Kotov missed an easy layup in the first half. So they are really carried by two guys. I mean, they had, you know, Luke – do some good things, but it was really just the Kendall and Seneca show, unfortunately. 
uh, let those guys kill us. And those were the guys we had to worry about going into it, and we weren't able to stop them. And even down the stretch when we had Troy and Marcus in there, those are favorable matchups. And Kendall got the best of Troy in that one possession I talked about. It could have been an offensive foul, but those are the two we rode with at the four and the five down the stretch. And even against those two guys and the other matchups in the Valley, if you don't want you know, our bigs in the game for free throw reasons, we were subbing in and out with, with JD for defense again, but uh, we're fine with Marcus and Troy. You just got to obviously, you know, sometimes the luck just isn't on your side. So that that's the bottom line of this game. Uh let me get some quotes from Brian after this game. If there are any, again, I don't believe there are any. Uh, but we, um, it was just, a, oh, like I said, overall, it was just a fun game. Um, I wonder if they, they didn't even have a post-game presser. We know we kind of do that after the game. We weren't sure if the guys, because we were at Bradley tomorrow, and there was like a two-day gap, obviously, between games, if they would just stay up there an extra couple days and then get to Peoria instead of coming back to Carbonell and then going back up again. I'm thinking that's what they did. But like I said, Brian was on with Andy Katz in an interview and it looked like he was back in his, uh, back in his office at Carbonell. So obviously now I guess they officially came back, which didn't make much sense to me. And uh, the whole thing with school, if that was partaking, we know the weather was recently bad here. So with snow, so I'm not sure. I, I want to say SIU closed campus throughout the last couple of days, so I'm not sure how that happened with them. But they should, probably should have stayed up there, but it is what it is. So, yeah, a six-point defeat, scratched our five-game winning streak. Um, and our you know our third conference loss, like I said, at the time it was like, man, we haven't had a lot of losses this year. It's only our sixth. Got us to 17-6, and six, so it's just crazy. Uh, not used to it, and kudos to Illinois State for a solid game. They are a solid team. We'll see how they go the rest of the way. And I mentioned some of these other takeaways, uh, but it, but it, it hurts because you always say, and I'll get to a game that didn't have one of the best players in the league that they were still able to win big. It's with no Burford, who's been one of their best players. That if he plays, who knows? You know, maybe Kendall and uh, Seneca don't get as many looks in a certain possession with Burford on the floor per se. So the game can change in a lot of different ways. So they played better without him, and we'll see how that, once he comes back, if he does, if he, like I said, he had an orbital bone, he hurt it in practice on Saturday. So there's that, like I said. Okay, so there's, and like I said, some of our turnovers, and there were some quick stats that Marcus, that Mike had about Marcus recently that I wanted to go back and find. This is now Marcus's, He's up to two 30-plus point games in the same month. That's the only the second time it's happened in the last seven years. Uh, just right before Marcus, though, he did it in November and then did it, obviously, this month against Evansville. And then uh, on Sunday, Lance had him a February between one another when he did it at Loyola when we played there in 2021. And then early last year at Illinois, at that Redbird Arena, he had 31 Armand did it three straight times, but like I said, not in the same month. Anthony Bean was the last one. February 10th of 16, 31 at Indiana State. And then February 13th, the next game, he had 31 against Drake. So Anthony did it a lot. He did it about seven straight times here before we saw Armand do it and then Lance do it. Desmar did it 31 at Loyola. Jeff Early, Carlton Faye were the last one since 2010, since the 0910 season. That's when Mike had it as. Uh, I want to say there was another one he might have had. That talked about it. We know Marcus, with that, keeps climbing up the boards and all-time stats. But Marcus, or Mike, I don't think has posted that. So, 
let's dive into now. I said this point in game, obviously, you wanted to get the ten and two before this game on Wednesday. Really tough one, but um, it is on the road. You can't, you know, take much away from it. The fact that Illinois State's playing well and you just accept it and move on. But it definitely disappointing. There's no doubt about it. So now let's go into, like I said, the games that were recently uh, on Saturday. On Saturday was because we did our part on Friday. Murray got the home win against Missouri State in a tough game. Did watch that. That was on Valley Sports Midwest. A lot of Bears were in double figures. They only played six total or seven total. But here's Murray's box score. Jamari Smith, 16. DJ Burns, 12. Brian Moore, 17. Jacoby Wood continues to play a lot and not do a whole lot offensively. Then Rob Perry had 17 on 15. Biggest story of this one, though, is Kenny White officially back playing. We've been talking. like I don't know how the heck it's able to happen, how he's been able to travel with the team with six offenses. And obviously how they're able – I mean, they're clearly able to get him out of it. It's just weird how it's only a three-game suspension, quote-unquote, that now he's back playing and puts him nine points in 26 minutes to help them now with Brian Moore doing what he's doing fully. They bring Kenny off the bench. Makes him even more dangerous. So we, we obviously got lucky against them at our place with him not playing yet. But that just shows you how dangerous that could be and how weird it is that he's actually able to play being under the influence driving – under or with weed and those six offenses and everything. So haven't heard a whole lot of information as to why. We know we listen to Murray State, some Murray State things, and they haven't even dove into it all that much. So it's just weird. So they got the three-point win at home against Missouri State. Helped us at the time on that Saturday. And then Indiana State got the home win against UNI. It was a close game throughout. I want to say Titan Anderson fouled out. In this game, again, he did. He only had six and nine in 36 minutes. Bowen had 20 on 18. Duax. Honestly, the way he's playing now with with I'll get I mean Kay Tyson missed a couple games ago, Belmont Evansville. I mean he's missing games and uh, Robbie's playing well, but not as well. It seems like Michael Duax is taking over the freshman of the year, which is which is crazy. It's going to be a good game and his other freshmen are a good end of the season of finding out who that's going to be. And it's got a good freshman team this year. Trey Campbell had two points in 27 minutes, ten off the bench for Cole Henry. And then for the winning Sycamores, I said Robbie had 10 points. Cole Cam Henry at 14 and 12. Julian continues to not do anything since he met us at their place when he started to not do. He's had like less, almost less than five points in every game since then. Uh, Cooper Neese did at 14. Saw Caleb Stevens play in this game. I haven't seen a whole lot of him, but the biggest one was who we haven't seen a whole lot lately is Xavier Bledson dropped 20 on seven of 10 shooting in 31 minutes. So you think he's a difference maker? Yeah, he's healthy and he's putting up that. That makes him dangerous down the stretch, adding him because they went they went 10 guys deep in this game. Jason Kent, five minutes, zero points, didn't do anything. Hobbs had 14, which is good for them. McCauley only five, and he wasn't even in foul trouble. Him and Robbie didn't even finish the game, which was interesting. Uh, so we mentioned how Shirts doesn't like to play deep for some reason, but he did in this game and ended up getting the win. So maybe... You know, that sets them up down the stretch because obviously that snapped their five-game losing streak. And then Valpo beat Evansville in Valpo by 21. I think it was close at times, but not all the way. Valpo got the dub. And then the big – and then I'll talk about, okay, Bradley won at UIC. It got close near the end. It was close at times. Bradley was able to escape. Had 19 from Malavai. Rink had 15 and 8. Hickman, 3 points. Montgomery, 15. Dean – Duke Dean, 21. They only had 10 bench points, including Darius Hanna, Jay Sean, Pop Weathers, and Vile in decent minutes. So we know those guys are going to do a lot against us. And Jay Sean fouled out uh, with five points, 12 minutes. 
Uh, Jace Carter, 25, killing it for them again. Uh, Jalen Jackson off the bench for uh, UIC at 15. Other than that, Skabaji at 14. Okani, 7, and Trey Anderson, 9. So not a whole lot there. If they do a little bit more, they beat Bradley, which would have been huge as well. And then the biggest one was Drake with no Tucker DeVries. They said he had an infection after their previous game that had him in a hospital up until leading up to this game. Like for almost a week, he's been in a hospital now. No Tucker DeVries on the road, no problem. The Bulldogs beat Belmont by 18 in Nashville without Tucker. So then you say, how the heck does that happen? Well, Darnell Brody at 15, Enright, who started, had seven, DJ Wilkins had seven. So you're saying already, it's like, okay, how the heck they do that? And Sturts had 16, and he had six rebounds in this game, which he he passed the Drake all-time leading rebounders list. So he's number one all-time for them, which is cool. And then Roman Penn had 16. I mean, and then you got Fer- Nate Ferguson, 10 off the bench. Calhoun didn't even score in seven minutes. And then, okay, Dominguez had whatever you pronounce his last name. Okay, Okai had eight. Belmont, Shepard had 21. Freiburg didn't score. He only shot four threes, which seems impossible. Kate Tyson was back at 13 and 6. Bronze had 12 and 10. Gillespie had 15. Other than that, they didn't they played five other guys off their bench and they didn't score. So Belmont was one of six from three, which seems improbable. They never do that. They're arguably the best shooting team in the league. One of 16. And they shot 42 as a team. 55 Drake shot as a team. 40 from three. 18-point win for Drake. I mean, that's Belmont was obviously tied with us. They still are now, obviously, and that's just one of the biggest wins of the season, knowing some teams can win on the road or even at home. I just remember when uh, Murray didn't have Jamari Smith and they beat Bradley in Murray, and then this one was like that, and then obviously Drake beating Bradley by 25 earlier. that We were we were trying to think of some of the best wins of the season. Drake, I think, has number one. Going on the road with a team tied for first without, without preseason player of the year and winning by 18. So one thing, if you won by five, you won by 18 in this game when, when uh, Belmont was at full strength. So incredible win there for Drake, of course, and they're getting hot, and so is the team we're playing tomorrow. So let's quickly update the standings now after these games. Still tied at first after that loss. We're now only six and four on the road. So is Belmont, six and four on the road. Other than that, everyone else is 500 or worse. Uh but like us and Belmont still at nine and three. Drake and Bradley now creeping up here after you and I's lost to Indiana State. Drake and Bradley's wins. They are eight, oh, three, eight, and four teams right there. Murray with the win against Missouri State now has the tiebreaker. They're ahead of them at seven and five. Missouri State seven and five. Indiana State seven and five. And then you have the big gap before you get to Valpo and Illinois State, both four and eight. UIC st- still one and eleven, and Evansville still zero and twelve. So that's where it lies. Like I said, we could have been ten and two. Could have officially gotten sole possession with the win uh, with that Belmont loss and knowing that well, a big game on Wednesday could decide how, you know, if we lose clearly, we're obviously not in first anymore and some other decent matchups next thing you know, Bradley and Drake can be in first place. So it's still obviously very, very tight. Our, our lead, we can obviously say is not safe anymore as we stand right now. So let's now talk about, Seeding probabilities, uh, Matt Hackman had these yesterday um, and has us still the highest to get the one at 30%. Belmont, 23% to get the two. Um, Belmont also has the highest percentage to get the three, but right behind them is Bradley and then Drake and then us at 17. 
For the four, though, it is Bradley at 19%. At the five, uh, I'm not seeing where Drake's best chances are, to be honest. They're, they're not the highest for the four, and they're not the highest for the five or the six. So, obviously, Drake's going to stand where they are. Uh, Indiana State's highest percentage for them is at the five, which is interesting. I mean, I, I mean, we just talk about these every single time, but it doesn't mean anything because you see how tight it is and things are going to change every single day. But we're always going to mention it whenever he talks about it. Um, and then let's talk about all these new brackets we had. I'll start from the earliest one we had to now. Uh, let's see, Brad Watchtel, who who we've talked about recently, just does projections. He's followed by Joel and Artie, Rocco Miller and stuff, so it's semi-legit from what he provides. He has us as a 14 against Texas uh, in his bracket in the South region. Uh, Stadium did theirs. Tim Kruger had us as a 14 playing Kansas State. That's that's not the first one or the last one. People will have us against Kansas State in that same kind of matchup. So we know we were around a 13. If we kept winning, we'd be around a 12. But 14 isn't the best position. But Kansas State obviously has had an awesome year, but we've seen them before. So I think that would play to our advantage. He has us in the East region. If we win, we'd get a UNC Arkansas at 6 of 11. So that game's in Des Moines that we've talked about as well. Uh, SEMO made this. uh, SEMO's probably made a couple others because, you know, SIUE has started to struggle a lot. SEMO's made a play-in for 16 against, and if they win, they would get Purdue. SLU's emerged in these now. Um, That seems to play when Oklahoma State's on the outside looking in. and then let's see, the field of 68 has us or had us at a 14, getting the three seed against Zaga, which is scary to imagine. That's in the South region as well. Uh, and then this Dave Omen had one I retweeted earlier today, uh, has us as a uh, 14 against three Virginia and Greensboro in the Midwest region, which which makes honestly a lot a lot more sense. Uh, I don't know how much it would play into our favor in that regard in the Midwest. And like, it would be in Greensboro in the Midwest. And that region would be played in Kansas City overall. So he has us there. And then Fox College Hoops has us. It, it's it's good because we were thinking, you know, with Drake's emergence, that they were going to have Drake, who people know a lot more about, would have them in these. It's good to see us still in these, even after a, a road loss against a team that's like with six games below 500. Uh Fox College Hoops, Mike DeCourcy has us as a 13 against Iowa State, the four in the South region, which obviously we're okay with because that's a higher seed than a 14. So everybody has this kind of difference. Some of us have us still playing the same kind of teams. And then the biggest one is Joe Lenardi's, who he still has this in here. Let me find it and let it load. Uh, we know he, Joe, has – this is probably the second or third week now that Joe's had us in his bracketology. Uh, like I said, on the brink of a loss. And that's what stinks is we're on a five-game winning streak. People would, even with one loss, and granted, like I said, against the team that it was, that, that people would move us out. But he doesn't. He has us against Kansas State as the 14-3 matchup in the South region as well. So, like I said, a lot of similarity between a lot of people with where they have us and who they have us against. But we're always going to mention ones because we always retweet it and then want to talk about it. Uh, so, again, that's ever-changing, and we'll see how it is. Who knows where we could be if we get the dub tomorrow. And then uh, Rocco had one as well a couple hours ago I retweeted recently that let me just find and look at real fast. We know Rocco's been on our side for a long time. He has us. Saw it earlier. 
he has us as a 13 against four Marquette. So that's someone we haven't seen in a little bit. We have seen Marquette matchups. Uh, and if we win, we get Indiana, Kent State, and Chris Payton. So potentially. So I like those matchups. We know Indiana's really tough. We don't have anybody that can guard Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, but in general, they're better than playing a than somebody else. So everybody has a different. It's cool to see Marquette there. No one else had Marquette. And then now let's dive into some other things that people had us on. Uh, Rocco Miller yesterday had us, you know, obviously had his top 60 non-power conference teams, moved us down to 11. We're still the highest Valley team. Drake's at 13. Solely but surely right behind us. Belmont moved into the third tier. Who else is in this? Bradley's in the third tier. And so is uh, Indiana State and Northern Iowa. Uh, so is Cal Baptist, by the way. Um, some other teams we've played. Uh, some t- some people had us as number one and still in their power rankings. Uh, and then mid-major top 25, I think, had – this is the college basketball insider. I think they're college insider. I'm kind of just rumbling on right now. They had us at an 11 still, right ahead of Drake, who's 12. So, you know, they have us this high still, even at their loss. And we know Nick Lawrenson and mid-major madness said if we won both games this week, he would have us in there. But he doesn't. He does have Drake in his top 25 at, at 19. And then Rocco's mid-major top 25 has us at 22. Ahead of UNLV, who we beat, and Drake is at 25. So a lot to cover there. Like I said, it's kind of the weekly kind of things, kind of just ramble on about the same kind of things each and every week. Uh, So now let's talk about the G League, Salukis. Uh, We know Catch Coupette had been getting scratched or a coach's decision recently, but from where we last talked on the Sunday, I don't think no team, nobody played on the Saturday. I don't believe so. Then on Sunday, I believe Long Island played and they won again. They're on fire. Both teams are on fire Windy City and Long Island. KV on in this Long Island matchup against the Wizards G League. Played 13 minutes, had didn't score, had a minus 13, did have two rebounds, I guess in 13 minutes, 0 for 3 from the field. Not the best game for KV on there. And then let me see yesterday, if anyone played on yesterday. We know, I think, because it's getting around the, um, because they're getting the G League All-Stars wrapped together because, you know, it's it's getting close to NBA All-Star Weekend. On Monday, though, which was yesterday, Long Island played again. Let's see if Kavion got the best of them. We retweeted yesterday because Kavion was on their game day tweet. Uh, Let's see what Kavion did in this one. We didn't see them tweet anything in the moment on him, but... He played three minutes, negative seven. I guess it's the game that we, or the last couple of games, could have just went without mentioning what Kevion did because it's not the best shout-outs there and those losses. So um, that's okay. And then recently, Barrett Benson had a game. We talked about what he did on the 21st. He had 12-4. and four, And then on the 27th recently, he had 16-10 and 10 in a win. They've won five straight they've had a really good stretch here and barrett's been a huge part of that for his team overseas so there's updates on those guys i did have a monday teleconference didn't have a whole lot from that i'll and i had something on wardle about us but it wasn't anything too crazy uh but let's talk about this one though it's it's a big one and that's Kennard davis jr he had a huge game this past week and weekend we know like i said 
their this upcoming Saturday is O'Fallon tournament that he'll be playing Chicago Simeon guys. And we knew we had a tough test this past weekend, and that he did. We retweeted it on him, how well he played. He was the player of the game, dropped 23 points and a win against uh, Staley, who we saw and had Caden Fish, who's going to Iowa State. We ran on Kyan Evans. We ran on going to Colorado State. They had a player that's going to Indiana State, a big man, and a really awesome team. And they got a overtime, I think, one-point win, I think it said. Uh, and Kennard was the player of the game and had 23. We know, like I said, they hosted their own little thing over there. And he got it done. And we talked about him. I and that's obviously the best game he could have possibly had um, there with, you know, all the different kinds of talent. We mentioned he got a, a, a good player to help the cause with him. Uh, and seeing him do it against that kind of competition. We'll see it in O'Fallon against Simeon. Like we said, if he's able to beat teams and carry the wave of 23, who knows what he'll do against Simeon. And if that continues to happen, I think it will just keep growing more and more of the thought that we already knew of how awesome he is and how much of a steal we'll be getting in him uh, next season. Uh, just a massive, massive win in that Champions Classic that they hosted. So shout out to Kanara. He's at 18 years young. Had that last week. He's been playing really tough, getting a lot of wins, and focusing on getting his team back to where they had been. There's 16-time state champs, I think it said. He's a two-time state champ himself. They want to get back to that. They're starting to get a lot more wins and a lot better matchups, and he's playing well, which is all that matters. So shout-out to Kennard. Shout-out to our former Saluki. So now let's dive into tomorrow's games. Everybody's playing uh, on the same day for the first time in a while, it seems like. Uh, there are some good ones. I mean, maybe not as much as what had previously happened, but in terms of it was, anything still changes the standings, as we know. So Missouri State hosts Valpo, 10.5-point favorites for Missouri State at home. Uh, I would expect Missouri State to get that one. That's a high spread, though. We know they can play well. Valpo's playing well, though, themselves. Valpo covers that plus 10.5, but I think Missouri State squeaks out the win. But we'll be rooting for Valpo in that game. Uh, here's Illinois State. If they can keep the momentum hosting – on, their, on this homestand, they host UIC, who UIC beat them, I think, earlier in the season. I think that was their only win was against Illinois State. At home in Illinois State's five-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, this is interesting. If Illinois State can ride that, I think UIC covers the five-and-a-half, but I think Illinois State barely wins. But that'll be a good, close game, hopefully. And, and two, you know, nine-and-14 teams, but two teams that can, you know, like I said, cause some havoc down the stretch for some teams and be kind of uh, – standing crashers and then maybe fight like heck and arch madness. Uh, Murray hosts Belmont. Murray's looking to, I mean, that's even odds in this game. Belmont on the road trying to avenge that terrible home loss they had. Um, and obviously in this other rivalry game, Murray had jaw at their previous game when they hosted Missouri State. So they're riding kind of this momentum, getting Kenny White back. I honestly, even odds, I think Murray gets this win. I think at home, Belmont's kind of down in the dumps. I guess that can make, that can, mean they can jump back in the wind calm and be you know a little bit pissed off after that loss but I'll take Murray at home in a really close game man that'll be a really fun one to watch and then Evans will host Indiana State Indiana State's 12 and a half point favorites on the road I think they cover that and honestly I think they go in there and smoke Evansville be nice for Evansville I take that back Evansville cover 12 and a half they've been fighting like heck themselves and if they're gonna get a win it's not gonna ever be on the road it needs to be at home I'm not saying they're gonna win this it wouldn't totally surprise me, though. But I mean, like I said, Indiana State, if they can get Xavier Bledson going and play 10 or more deep, that's when they they could be at their best. 
I think they could hit a stride here near the end, maybe. But uh, I think in, Evansville covers 12 and a half. Indiana State wins on the road. And then Drake hosting you and I. Not sure the status of Tucker DeVries. Drake is nine-point favorites. Otherwise, if Tucker does not play, I'll take you and I plus nine. I might take him otherwise plus nine in a rivalry game. Uh, I think we'll take you and I plus nine. But I think Drake wins. Need I would say this is a game of two eight and four teams, so it wouldn't really matter. Uh, who, you know, you know, whoever wins, so be it. I guess you could say we want Drake to win because we beat them, and that'll be the tiebreaker with us in case we lose. So hopefully Drake can get this win, but I think you and I plus nine. Uh, so, yeah, so a lot of games that can change the look of the standing still. Some teams will be rooting for. We'll be rooting for all the teams that obviously affect us. So we'll be rooting for Valpo at Missouri State. Uh, Illinois State, UIC, we have no whatever's on that one. Hope Murray can beat Belmont at home. Uh, Evansville can somehow beat Indiana State. And then you and I are to Drake to end up covered winning at home against you and I. So hopefully those can be the games for us. Now into the Braves for the first time this season. Talking, Bradley, they are – let me go through some – some of the main points of the match. Like I said, it's, I can't believe it's, it takes till February 1st for us to play one another. Uh, and a team was just in the middle of the state. There were you kind of rivals, I guess you could say rivals. We had a, we've had a tough time facing in the last couple of years. It's the 95th meeting between the two and they hold a 54 to 50 advantage in the series. We split last season's meetings. We talked about that's whenever we were beating everybody above us or below us and losing everybody ahead of us. But Bradley's the only team we beat that was ahead of us last year. And that crazy game at our place, and we were blowing them out. They were blowing us out, and then we blew them out, and then they came back, and it was a close game. So we know there's always always fights between these two teams. We've lost six of the last ten against them, but we've won, uh, but we've won three of the last four, apparently. We know – and the year Marcus was hurt that sophomore year, we beat him in the Valley, and I think we swept them that year. We beat them in Arch Madness. They had a down year themselves because that was the whole Elijah Child situation. Um, but we're 16 and, thir- 16 and 33 all-time against them in Peoria. So we talked about it. I mean, every time we watch them play at third place, it's never good. And we know they had that long winning streak there before uh, Belmont went and broke it after Belmont swept Bradley. I mean – Obviously, Terry, Terry Bradley or Terry uh, Roberts for them last year was phenomenal. He went to Georgia. But they've kind of you know kept with the same group there. We know Rick Mass, who was crazily on that top three finalist, Valley Hoops posted uh, not too long ago. And after, obviously, Marcus' performance, he takes over for Rink in that regard. But they still have the same kind of guys that can, you know, kill you. Let me go through some of those guys, some familiar faces. Uh and that's Malavai in his second season with Bradley. He leads them in points, rebounds, steals, and blocks. People are saying he's the favorite for defensive player of the year. Can't disagree with him. We know Lance is right there with him, but it's safe to say Malavai probably will win that award. He's averaging 12 and 6 with two steals and two blocks. Uh, just because he's played six more games in rink overall. Rink is, at, is overall leading them in points with 14. Has eight rebounds, two, two uh, assists, shooting 53%. Malibai shooting 49%. Duke Dean, obviously newcomer from uh, Troy. I think that's where he came from. Yeah, Troy, he's only he's only a junior. He's about 5'8". It seems a lot shorter than that. 
you know, and watching some of their games, he'll just pull from anywhere. He's a good assist man. I mean, for what it's worth, he's averaging three. That leads the team. Uh, but he's shooting 40 or shooting 38 from three. But like I said, you'll see him shoot a lot. He, there's some, he can be a streaky shooter as well. Just watching him. He'll pull up from anywhere. He is a 78% free throw shooter. That's the one thing that Bradley all get into that they're not the best free throw shooting team at all. And what's crazy about that is I don't know what the attempts are. Uh, let me just keep going down the line here though. Duke 11, he leads, he's third in the team in scoring. Here's a guy who has been dealing with injuries mainly concussions in his career, and that's Jay Sean Henry. Uh, he's he's played 17 games this year as well, about 19 minutes a game, which is about perfect, and he still gets the production at 10 points, four rebounds, and assists. He's been a killer to us in his career. He's shooting 56% from the field that leads the team, 63 from the line himself, and he doesn't shoot threes. He's 0%. Let me look to see how many he's shot this year. Uh, Jay Sean's been a killer of ours for a long time here in his fifth year. He's only shot... Two threes this year. He shot a lot his sophomore and junior. I say a lot, 31 and 28. He only shot four last year, and he's only shot two this year. He's 0 for 2. So he's another guy. But that's that's the thing. You won't ever find him outside of the arc. You'll always find him in the paint or at the high post so uh, or at the elbow area. So you won't even find him. You can't. He's too strong. It's not like you can force him out there either. So if he does get out there, play off him as much as you can. But he's a threat, and every – Stretch of the word. He people are saying he's a linebacker. He could play linebacker in the NFL. That's the size that he is. But always gives us problems. But he does not shoot free throws well along with those threes. But he'll score anything in the paint. Him and Rink. If they get deep in the paint and the easy floater with their strength, it's going in every single time. Uh, so those are the two biggest ones for me to worry about in this game. I know you got Malavai. Not too worried about their guard play. I'm more worried about the guys that can bring off the bench, their size, and. I guess I'm not too worried about Duke Dean and Zeke Montgomery, who's averaging nine. He'll, he can, you know, he won in that Indiana State game for the most part, scoring 18 second half points. He's obviously a threat. He can be streaky himself in only 17 games. He's a 63% free throw shooter himself. He shoots 50 from three and not a whole lot of attempts, I would imagine, but you obviously can't let him shoot in that regard. He's talented. We know they just found him off the scrap heap last year. Clearly good. And then Hickman, who's played 30 minutes a game, he'll hit the occasional three. He shoots 34 from there. He shoots 35 overall. Eight points, three rebounds. Doesn't assist too much as their – I guess he's their shooting guard. Uh, here's the thing. He shoots 58% from three as a guard. We thought, you know, couldn't get any worse sometimes with Lance. And we know this is only Connor's second season. He has shot – he's 19 of 33 from the line. I don't know why he misses that many, to be honest, but he doesn't, He like I said, he can score a little bit, but he doesn't do a whole lot of, he's kind of just that annoyance, little pest, pest that can, you know, bother people, but Tavaninen comes off the bench in 23, he plays in every game, obviously, 23 minutes off the bench, he's not shooting as well this year, I mean, he's it's 35%, but I've when I watch him play, he misses a lot of ones that he usually makes in general and definitely against us, and we'll expect him to make those against us. He shoots 86 from the free throw line, though. He's by far their best shooter from there. 45 overall. Uh, always a threat. He's been a threat to us ever since he's gotten there. The year uh, they got they last won, Arch Madness was his freshman year. He's the same age as Marcus, Lance, and Trent, and he was on that team playing really well. Uh, and here he is now. Darius Hanna played in every game, 18 minutes. He'll start on occasion. They'll either start... Jay Sean, Zeke, or Darius Hanna, but Dean, Mast, and Le and uh, and Malavai are the consistent starters. 
I would say, but Darius, obviously, he's so talented from the from the moment he got there. It's been spotty for him still at times, but he's got the length. I mean, he's he uses that 6'9", 200 length. We thought that he could grow into the next Elijah Childs. I'd be asking a lot for the production Elijah had, but Darius has all the tools, and he's a threat. He shoots 61% from the field, 50 from free throw line himself, so they're not a good free throw shooting team overall. Got to, you know... Whether you put in some guys to foul them to get to the line that can benefit a game, that's why they almost lost against Illinois State was because they missed free throws at the end. But Darius is obviously a threat. They'll throw in guys like Christian Davis, who's in his first year. He was a D2 or a Juco guy, whatever Noah told me. He'll come in, play 10 minutes. He'll only play in 15 games. Pop Weathers played in 19 of the 23 games. He, he was highly touted coming in. I remember picking him on my third team this year, which seems crazy because I thought he was going to be the one that was going to fill in for Terry uh, Terry Roberts and be that kind of good, consistent point guard they needed, but he hasn't been. So, really, they'll just play Rink, Malavai, Duke Dean, Jay Sean, Zeke, Connor Hickman, Tavanine, and Darius Hanna. And here are there, Davis and Weathers. We know we added, they added that overseas guy, Ahmet Janovich, 7 1 freshman. He's only played in three games. Don't count on seeing him, but you can almost see almost everybody else. They're definitely at least play seven guys or eight guys, but they're really big. And, like I said, the free throw shooting stinks. But let me go to their overall team stats in conference. I mean, they lead almost – they were the team that we've been talking about has consistently been in the 70s and the 80s and net and Ken Palm and we're asking why. And even Brian Wardle was asking about – everyone's talking about our defense, but our offense has been doing a little better. So everybody knows about their defense. They are fourth in the team of team offense behind Indiana State, Belmont, and Drake. Their second in team defense behind us, which our points per game went up a little bit. It was around 60. Now it's at 61.1. They're at 62.7, second best in the league. Uh, their second in team scoring margin. Their second in rebounding margin behind Missouri State. They are third in team field goal percentage. They are third in team three-point field goal percentage, which is crazy. They've, they've shot 527 threes. We are 10th. We've shot 582. Indiana State is the only team that has shot more threes than us this year. Um, and here's the thing. They are 9th in free throw percentage. We are 5th. They are 9th at a team 67%, as I've said. Uh, assists, they're 5th. They're right behind us. And assists as a team. Turnovers, they're about 8th. So they don't really turn it over all that much at all. They're pretty disciplined, as they always have been. Assisted turnover ratio, they're 4th. Here it is. Team offensive rebounds, they're third. Defensive rebounds, they're fifth. Block shots, they're third. And steals, they're second behind us. That's carried by uh, Malavai. He's doing a lot of that for them. So overall, they obviously have star power. They're always good, as it seems. You know, they have a huge fan base, which is going to be tough to play against tomorrow. They always travel well to Arch Madness, obviously. Uh, they've had a lot of success. They've won two Arch Madness titles, Arch Madness tournament titles, two of the last four years. So they have a reason to be confident each and every season. They've had their ups and downs. We mentioned the 25-point loss to uh, Drake on the road. They lost to Murray without Jamari on the road. So they're not the best road team, and we'll get them on the road at our place at some point. But obviously playing there will not be easy. I mean, that's for dang sure, and it'll be otherworldly tough. I mentioned Kim Palm. Let me go back quickly and find where Bradley ranks and updated Kim Palm. Uh, if I could find it, I'm not sure where it went. We know they were still one of the top Valley teams. This was updated as of today. 
Bradley is, I think, well, yeah, they're 91st. Drake went up to 82, so Drake is now the highest Valley team. So, like I said, Bradley's 91st. We are 117th, which is still third in the in the conference. That's a big gap between one another, though. So they've kind of came down to earth just a little bit, but obviously still a massive, massive threat. Brian Wardle was on the teleconference and just mentioned – he mentioned Marcus and Lance having a dynamic duo, mentioned how well-coached we are and dynamic and how tough of how hard it is to play against us and how good of our defense is. The usual coach speak that teams have. For us, I did notice that Bradley is wearing their old-school home jerseys tomorrow that we've been seeing. So maybe those can bring them some bad luck. Obviously, they've only lost one home game this season in a long time, and I think they wore those at that time. Who knows? But – uh and then I mentioned Brian was on Andy Katz, and they just talk, or Brian was on with Andy Katz, and he just talked about, you know, the road that it's been here for these four years, uh, you know, t- transitioning your winning at home to winning on the road. Because Brian mentioned how we do have a lot of good home win or road wins outside of obviously Sunday. Uh, the support for the community has been great. He mentioned how our capacity has been really good, our fan base has been good. He uses the word special a lot with us. Mentioned building the program and the good mix on this year's roster. He mentioned how obviously our transfers have come in and mixed well and everything. And this is his most complete team since he's been here. So, so now getting to the nitty gritty of this with spreads and predictions. Bradley is a six point favorite tomorrow. Not too surprising. That's not even I wouldn't say that high. Like I said the analytics of us being good on the road besides Sunday. Bradley being great at home, kind of being on the brink of losing two straight at home recently, take all that into account, and SIU being tied for first at six seems about right. If we were to predict it, I think that's what it would have been. Um, It's going to be tough, as we know, and if I were to obviously try to think of players of the game, you know, this is just a vital game to, to rebound. This is a vital game to to have smart fouls, to get them at the free throw line. Don't give them any extra shots. Be great in the paint. We talked about how awesome we have been in the paint. That's a big reason why we've been winning a lot. But that Bradley is the ultimate paint team, it seems like. Like I said, if Rink and Sean get that deep, they're scoring at the rim. Malavai is a pest on both ends of the floor. They will hit their threes. They feed off that crowd. And I think I think we can cover the six. But if I'm being honest, and I said this against Missouri State, and we won somehow, and a and an awesome road win that we had there, never never lost the lead, and I think we'll be losing a lot in this game at times. Thinking we can play with them, I will say that Bradley gets this this home win that gives us a tie for a, a potential four way tie for first, and they would have the tiebreaker on us, so they would be above us in the standings. And I mean, how pivotal would this game be, and how crucial and important? Moving forward, if you win at their place, because then they have to come to our place, which we know we're great at. So, obviously, you know, whenever we beat, we lost at you and I, uh, you know, when you beat, and we beat Indiana State, but we already played them at home. So, like, whenever you beat the team first on the road, getting them at home is so important. You know, it's not the case with Drake, but it is the case with Missouri State. You know, we're not playing at Belmont this year, but winning at home against them is crucial. Talk about all the great wins we've had this year, but this one's next level. Bradley is consistently up there, as we know, consistently a great team. Brian Mortal, respect him. I think he's a little bit, you know, on that kind of, you know, side. I guess I could say the douche side of coaches. Um, I mentioned when they lost to Belmont. I'm not sure if he even shook Casey Alexander's hand till the very end. I think he can be a sore loser. Respect him, and he's done great things in winning. 
be really nice to get him frustrated if we somehow pull this one out. Like I said, six-point favorites. I'll take the six, but I think Bradley wins, unfortunately. But this win can go such a long way. And with Belmont playing at Murray, and, you know, I mentioned Drake's game. Uh, they have a fairly, uh, you know, they host you and I. So there's some tough games here for the top half teams, no doubt about it. And I guess Missouri State hosting Valpo's got the tough, got the easiest one of these top teams. But this game, this game can go a long way. Obviously, like I said, keeping us at the very top and beating them at on the road before they got to come to our place. So it's going to be so tough. If I were to pick a dog at the game, like I said, you got to keep them out of the paint and be strong with it. I want to say Troy because he's been playing better. His dad had a stat before I think the Murray game when he was hurt. I might have been before this Sunday's game about how well he'd been playing, uh, you know, and barely missing any shots and blah, blah, blah. But just because we have to have a lot of Troy in this game because we can match them in their bad free throw shooting if we keep our bigs in. I hope we get a, a great three-man bigs in there. But Troy's got to be big against the Jayshons and against the Malavis because Marcus will struggle against them on defense and will struggle maybe on offense because Jayshon is no joke on defense and neither is Malavi. It's going to be so, so tough. We're, we're not going to see Foster in this game, but it'd be nice to see him come in and maybe match Tabanainen. Won't happen, but the one thing I do think we have an edge on in this game is the guard play. Hickman, he'll like I said, he'll, he'll turn it over. He's not the best from three. He's not the best from the free throw line. X, Lance, and Jawan have to take advantage of the Duke Deans, Connor Hickman, Zeke Montgomery's. That's where I think we'll have an advantage. But Duke Dean is kind of the streaky player that Lance is. But hopefully Lance, who we saw Lance play in that gym against EJ Liddell and the state championship uh, back, obviously, before he got here officially. And so Lance knows that gym. He's played there, obviously, for four years. And I expect big things from Lance in this game. Can't have 27 minutes of down play or you'll get blown out in this game. I don't think we'll get blown out. I think we'll have some bad moments. Uh but I'm thinking, obviously, if we can just keep doing what we've been doing offensively, fight hard, get open shots, set you know plays for your shooters, and just get the job done. Marcus got to be big again. Like I said, I go with Troy because he's got to be so big if our bigs aren't in the game against Jay Sean and Malavi with Marcus. If they end up with Marcus at times on rink, I don't think they can afford that. So our bigs in general, Troy feeding in the JD, potentially Scotty, and Clarence against Rink Mast in Malavi. It's going to be so, so difficult. They said, if you win this game, it goes so such so far, and we see Bradley fans already kind of saying and declaring that they're going to win. So it would just be nice to put it back in their fan base's face um, with the win to kind of keep cementing ourselves at the top because we don't want to fall because you know, next thing you know, you can be out of the four spots with a couple losses, and that's why how important that Illinois State game was and going into this game before you host Missouri State on Sunday and then you host UIC two really hard home matchups so you need this one it won't be easy like I said plus six but I think we'll drop this one I don't have a dog of the game from Noah I think he we, he would agree though and a lot of aspects usually we go different ones but it's just got to be a full team effort it's not going to be a 40 minute effort on the road it's really hard to do that I think we almost did that at Missouri State I think that was probably a 35 minute game but uh, just need this one bigger than heck. And like I said, this can keep you near the top in a very important game when they're wearing those jerseys, when they're feeding off that home crowd before you get to come home and write the ship down the stretch in some really, really important games. So 7 o'clock game, ESPN Plus, they're giving them a 79% chance to win. So let's 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 break that up. Let's let's prove some people wrong in this game. 125 and a half over under. Uh, 
This is one of the biggest games of the year. It should be on national TV, Valley Sports Midwest, or ESPN2 at least. It's on ESPN Plus, though, at 7. Along with every other game besides you and I and Drake, they're at 8. Everyone else is at 7. Should be a fun day around the Valley. Like I said, B standings watching because that'll be important here as we go along in this tough game tomorrow. Hopefully we can get the job done. So for Nick Malone, as always, hopefully we get the dub tomorrow. Until we talk to you guys next time, as always, go dogs.